Ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. Please make sure your seatbelt is securely fastened, your tray table is in an upright and locked position, and that you are ready to get weird and think different. Please prepare for takeoff. Today is Wednesday. It is July 7th, and we're back with another episode of Destination Different. Listen to it. You hear that? If it sounds like the sounds of birds chirping, waves softly crashing, wind blowing in my hair, that's because it is. Recording this episode here live from deep inside the heart of Maine, sitting overlooking the water. It's peaceful, it's serene, it's relaxing, it's taking me away from the hustle and bustle of the city life just to get out and enjoy some nature. And over the 4th of July, took some time off, had a nice little holiday, a few days away from work from my computer, from my phone, just sit and enjoyed nature. It was fantastic. But as is life, I am now back. I'm back. I just killed a mosquito. I'm back recording, hustling, grinding, trying to churn out this content for Destination Different. And I have an unbelievably inspiring episode for you today. So my guest on today's show, his name is Carter Perry, and he is a 23-year-old surfer, IT technician, and he is also now a amputee and has lost a lung. So Carter's story is absolutely fascinating. He grew up in the Midwest in Cleveland, Ohio. He, you know, surfed a bit as a kid, but was never, never like grew up a surfing kid per se. It's hard to do, I think, when you're in, you know, the middle of America. But he grew up a little bit surfing. And when it was time to go off to college, he said, you know what? There's schools in Hawaii. And so he packed his bags and attended school in Hawaii. Started immediately falling in love with surfing, was getting out there a couple times a week, learned how to surf, getting better, and fell in love with the sport. Found it as a a retreat, a relaxing place, not so dissimilar to the sereneness that I'm experiencing here in nature. And he went to school, fell in love with Hawaii, graduated, said, you know what, I'm going to stay out here. Took a job did some traveling prior to taking his job out in Hawaii. And December of 2019 rolls around. Carter goes home for Christmas. Things are all good. He sees his family. Comes back to Hawaii and catches a flu. Nothing crazy. little headache, some sniffles, cough, sore throat. And things started to get worse and worse and worse. A couple weeks later, he wakes up in a hospital bed 
and they are giving him basically no chance to live. He was in a coma for multiple weeks, ultimately had to have his leg amputated, ultimately had to have his lung removed. He had some toes removed from his other foot. Absolutely crazy. Most people get a, wake up from a, a snooze like that, and that would have been it. They would have called it quits. They would have said, nah, I'm good. I'm, I'm done. This is, this is too much. Who gets dealt a hand like this at 22, 23 years old? But not Carter. He immediately woke up and said, I'm getting back on a surfboard. That's my goal. That's what I want to do. And since that moment in January of 2020, he has made that his mission with one leg, with one lung, missing a couple feet, down 60 pounds, barely able to eat at times. He has made that his mission to get back in the water in Hawaii on a surfboard for the Hawaiian Adaptive Surf Team. And so in this episode, we talked all about Carter's journey, his resilience, what actually happened to him, and how he has now started that process towards recovery, that long, long road toward his goal of competing for the Hawaiian Adaptive Surf Team. And there's certain people that you talk to that just just blow you away. You know, sometimes I talk to people, I'm like, man, that person... Smart, funny, charming, brilliant, driven, whatever it might be. Carter just impressed me most with his attitude, like his positivity. This guy had the flu, common cold that turned into a loss of a lung, a prosthetic leg. And somehow he is smiling He shakes it off. He was fed through a feeding tube for like five months. The guy says it like it was nothing. He is one of the most inspiring, positive people I've ever had the chance of talking to. And his story is fascinating. I have no doubt in my mind that he is going to be competing for the Hawaiian Adaptive Surf Team someday. He's saying, you know, there's a potential that they put adaptive surfing in the Olympics I wouldn't be shocked if he's on that team either. You know, he has set this goal out for himself and it's given him something to look for as he continues his recovery. And I have very few doubts in my mind that he's going to get it. So this is a fascinating interview. Unbelievable story. Unbelievably scary story. But Carter's resilience, his positivity is just incredible. And I failed to mention that he is now taking it upon himself to document his recovery and his process and getting back on a board and started his own YouTube channel. And that, you know, was most impressive to me as well. And you can see just in how he talks about his content and making videos that he sees little progressions in things. He sees, oh, I'm getting better with the pacing. Oh, I'm getting better with how the editing is going. Oh, there's a little bit more of a narrative in, in the later episodes and the early episodes. And It's not so different than how he treats his rehab. And it was interesting to see the parallels between those two worlds. And if you check him out on YouTube, his content is fabulous and gives you an even further look inside his story than what you'll get here today. But for now, I want to turn you over to this interview with Carter Perry. 
surfer, inspiration, just an unbelievable guy. I hope you enjoy. to guess how many shakas do you think you've thrown up in your entire life uh at least i mean it's got to be over five thousand. just because uh i mean in hawaii it's really common for like in just traffic stops you throw up a shaka as a thank you like if someone lets you in or something or mm-hmm. you're just saying hey to somebody you see like kind of in the distance so it's like kind of like a wave except you know it's a shaka it's way it's way cooler way more chill okay and you, so you grew up, you know, I, I believe you grew up in what Cleveland, but you spent some time on the East coast as well. You've kind of bounced around, but how did you, I guess, how did you end up in Hawaii and get, you know, entrenched in this like surf culture of Hawaii? Yeah, I definitely didn't expect my life to go this way from the beginning. Uh, so kind of first memories growing up in Pasadena, California, uh, up until kindergarten. So I left pretty early. My dad wanted to start work over in Cleveland as a doctor. So we kind of transplanted over there. I began kindergarten in Cleveland and grew up in Cleveland, uh, Shaker Heights, Ohio from K to 12. So mm-hmm. basically yeah, my childhood was spent in Ohio, uh, surfed occasionally on the East coast, um, up in Massachusetts, Nantucket a little bit, but, uh, you know, I, I didn't even like it. I didn't like sand growing up. I thought, you know, like in Nantucket, for some reason, the sand is like dusty where like kind of makes my fingers all dry i don't know it's a weird it's a weird feeling but like yeah i've uh i was never much i was never a beach person definitely um ended up taking a survey online during my senior year trying to figure out like what type of college i was looking for um it spat out some recommendations like university of vermont up in burlington uh miami ohio osu and then University of Hawaii was one of my suggestions. And I was like, there's no colleges in Hawaii. No mm-hmm. way. I, as most mainlanders, at least I was pretty naive about like what Hawaii was. I pictured like 51st States type of atmosphere. Um, and yeah, it, I started doing some research once I figured out there was colleges out there learn, you know, Honolulu is actually a massive city bigger than Cleveland. Mm-hmm. And um applied to HPU, which is kind of a similar school and just decided to go. I never visited, uh, never been to Hawaii before. So I was kind of like committing to a year of like, if I hate it after a year, I'll leave. And yeah, I ended up falling in love with this place, started surfing the very first week I was there on a longboard out in Waikiki. And it just, (laughs) completely took over my life and I ended up getting out on a board probably three or four times a week if I could. Is that like a mandatory like class requirement that just everybody (laughs) becomes a surfer at college in Hawaii? No, I was actually quite surprised. Uh, On my campus, I think I only knew like two or three other people that surfed. And is it mostly, um, is it mostly Hawaiians that are in college there or is it like a a mix? uh, In HPU, it's unique. Um, UH, HPU, and Harvard, I think, are like the top three most diverse schools in the United States. Um, and there's not too many um, locals here. Hawaiians are kind of like a separate race in itself, and it's a pretty small group in Hawaii. Mm-hmm. But uh, people that have grown up here are local people, um, mixed race people. There's really um, 
not too, that many people that surf compared to like what I thought. Obviously, Hawaii is a surfing state. Like everyone knows it for surfing, but a lot of people that like grew up here, some don't even get in the ocean. So mm -hmm. it's like, it's, just, I guess like if you grow up around it all the time, maybe it's like not as whimsical of a thing. So mm -hmm. maybe you just don't get involved in that uh, kind of lifestyle. And so you like, you know, immediately you get to school and you kind of like caught, you, you had surfed a little bit, grow up, but you kind of like caught the surf bug mm -hmm. full time. And so did you have like, you know, are you, are you out there with friends? Are you, are there like pro surfers that you're like hanging out with on a daily basis? Like how, <laughs> how did you get entrenched in the, in the surf culture as you like started to, you know, go through your school there? Um, I think it was a good escape, uh, mentally just being out in the water, uh, alone. Usually I don't typically go out with other people, um, unless like we make a plan or something, but I'd say, yeah, 80% of the time I'm out there solo and, it's very therapeutic. You don't really think about anything else that's going on. Even if you're not surfing actively, you're just out in the water trying to, you know, feel the energy of the waves and the ocean underneath you. And it kind of like transplants your mind to a different location. So it's super therapeutic for me. And I think that's what really hooked me, especially with like stress of school and all that stuff that would come along later. Having that escape through surfing was kind of key to changing who I was as a person. I definitely, my four years at college, changed me dramatically from who I was back in high school. Mm -hmm. And like, what kind of, like, what kind of changes are you talking about? Like, were you like more of a <laughs> introverted person? Were you like, you know, on edge? Like how did, how did that transformation take hold? Uh, yeah, it's certainly a little bit more introverted. Um, not as confident in myself. Um, and I'd say I am way more relaxed. Like, you know, monetary goals in life are pretty minor in my head now. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, success to me now is just finding the stoke in life and like finding all the little fun little moments that exist and working to accomplish that type of thing uh, mm -hmm. or like move and live in like a foreign country for a little bit just for the hell of it. Uh, like that's where I've found the joy in life. So those are kind of like my primary goals, not you know, I guess the traditional family paths or, you know, having a big house or something like that, that you kind of get molded into when you're growing up. Um, yeah, I guess I'm more of a hippie now. I love that. I love that. And I, like, I know you went, I know you were in Bali for a bit, but like you've surfed some pretty big waves, like kind of all over the world. Like, have you ever surfed competitively or has it always been sort of a, an outlet, you know, a relaxing outlet for you? Yeah, I've never been too competitive, um, but I enjoy competing and just the sport of competing against myself mostly. Uh, but there is no chance uh, an Ohio boy coming here at 18 years old is ever going to compete in Hawaii, mm -hmm. where you have Keiki, which are you know kids that are going out to pipeline one of the world's most dangerous waves at you know eight years old. So <laughs> they have a little bit of a jump on me. Uh, but then you know ended up losing my leg, uh, which you know. Uh, kind of changes the dynamic. Now I'm a young guy that's, you know, amputated at 22 years old that had some prior surf experience mm -hmm. that it will now be like, I'm able to compete in a different class essentially of uh, disabled surfers, which is, you know, a completely unique way of surfing. So now the tables have turned and I'm that young person mm -hmm. that's kind of getting into this earlier than, you know, most people that might lose a limb or, have some type of dis disability that would be in that group. Got it. Okay. So 
let's maybe backtrack a little bit here. So the, for the folks, you know, listening to this for the first time who don't know who you are. So you had the flu. I don't want to yeah. tell the story for you, but you've probably told this now a million times, but how, you know, what was that process like? You, you know, have had an amputation. You lost a lung. There was a lot of kind of scary moments there. Take me back to that, you know, December of 2019, when you're a healthy surfer, you're coming home for the holidays. Like, what was that little time frame like for you? Yeah, so uh, I graduated from HPU in 2019, May, um, and I ended up getting a job on the Marine base out here as a contractor. Uh, doing some IT type stuff. Um, and in order for me to work that position, I first needed to pass an exam, um, my security plus exam. Uh, and I also had to get a secret clearance and that can take a couple of months because they have to do some research, background research, figure out who you are make sure you can, you know, you're not a threat, I guess, to information. Mm-hmm. And I figured I can get rid of my rental house here because we're all leaving for college and uh, or leaving. We're done with college. So we're getting rid of our house that we've been renting for three years. So I won't have to pay rent back home. So may as well spend that time in Bali or someplace <laughs> exotic uh, if I can use the money that I've saved and not have to pay rent back home. So I just packed all my stuff and then my truck parked it on uh, the campus. I guess they still thought I was a student, so it was okay. Yeah. And uh yeah, I lived in Bali for two months and kind of I did my studying out there for this exam and waited for the clearance. Uh, you know, in hindsight, it probably wasn't the best to move to a Muslim country <laughs> during that period, at least for as, as far as suspicious activity mm-hmm. with the U.S. government. But, you know, obviously they just see this 22 year old surfer. I mean, it's Bali. It's super casual. Yeah. And I'm not going there for like a day and leaving. Um, so yeah, I used my rental money that I typically paid for my house back in Hawaii to live out there. And it was just a completely life-changing experience because I was there solo. And that was my first foreign experience solo. Mm -hmm. And that enabled me to meet so many unique people because I could just say yes to everything on a whim. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I ended up getting like no commitments, no nothing. Yeah. Yeah. No, I met so many great people out there. Um, they were all kind of like, 25 to 35 age group. Uh, a lot of them expatriates from whatever country around the world. So really got exposed to a lot of different cultures out there and kind of got to, I don't know, I guess, trust in myself a bit more. Um, Cause you know, it's scary going to a bar for yourself by yourself and stuff mm-hmm. like that. I just kind of had to push myself into those things. Anywho, I come back from that lovely experience and start working in August and everything's good. I head home for the holidays in December, back to Ohio, celebrate Christmas with my family, fly back. And on, I think it was, yeah, December 31st, I started getting cold, like symptoms, uh, which I just attributed to the fireworks because there's lots of explosions going off and smoke everywhere. So I got a little sore throat and a headache Mm -hmm. and you know, that's it. Uh, A few days pass. uh, I started developing more flu-like symptoms, you know, kind of your delirium and uh, muscle aches and sweating, cold flashes, hot flashes, but mm-hmm. nothing like hospital worthy, uh, at least from what I've experienced. Like nothing you hadn't probably experienced with no, the flu I mean, before. Yeah. I've been sick before. I've had the flu once or twice and it sucks, but I mean, you're not going to die from right. it. Right. <laughs> well, <laughs> turns out you can. So, um, yeah, my brother came into my room to give me 
uh, some Gatorade and he was like, I'm not leaving until you finish this. Cause he wanted me to hydrate. And in that moment, I coughed up a little bit of blood uh, and we were like, okay, obvious red flag there. First thing in the morning, we're going to the hospital. Next morning I wake up, I'm so weak. Uh, I have to sit in the elevator from my apartment down because I just don't have the strength to really stand. I remember getting into his car. My friend helps me get into the vehicle because I can't really do it myself. I sit in a wheelchair when we get to the local hospital and my brother wheels me in and I remember listening to them check me into the hospital. Uh, and then all of a sudden I wake up two weeks later and my sister's next to me and I'm like, how, how do you get here in like an hour from Ohio? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, it turns out, you know, I was complete coma for that time. My heart stopped twice. I believe, uh, they gave me a 1% chance to live lung failure, um, dialysis, all of this, uh, very unexpected. <laughs> yeah. And that began my big journey through 2020. So 2020 kind of sucked for a lot of people and me too. <laughs> Jeez, and it's starting the year off just right at that point. Um, and so, God, I don't even know where to start. Do you, you know, so you, so you kind of come out of that, and are you at that point kind of conscious and with it? Like, how long did it take you to realize everything that had transpired over the prior two weeks? Uh, yeah, I remember definitely being disoriented uh, waking up, but I had a trach already placed. Um, which is, you know, the pipe through your trachea. So no speaking, I wouldn't mm-hmm. be able to speak for four or five months, I think. Um, and a lot of drugs, uh, just trying to keep face oppressors, which were trying to take the blood from my extremities and pull it to my vital organs to keep me alive. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, definitely disorienting, but I just remember, uh, I think I like rolled my eyes like, Oh, this is annoying. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, it just kind of like, that's my sense of humor in these types of situations. And I think that was kind of key to my family because although I couldn't speak, they knew that mentally, I guess I was still there Yeah, because there's a huge risk of me having a lot of mental damage after what happened. Um, but I don't think any of that happened. You can be the judge. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I, I I didn't know you before, but it seems like you still have your your sense of humor, and I imagine like, tell me a little bit about like how that has played a part now in your rehab and recovery and, and keeping that, you know, it, from what I've watched and in your content, I want to talk more about this too. But you seem so positive and upbeat, and you know, having that that sense of humor and that little bit of that wink and that eye roll or whatever it might be, how have you kept that throughout this whole process? And you know, what does you know, what does your mentality look like on a day-to-day basis? I've certainly been a half glass full kind of person my whole life. Um, but I never really knew the length of that, I guess, until I was tested. No one Mm -hmm. does. I mean, if you asked me if I could go through these past that seven months, like, or six months in the ICU, um, everyone's dying of COVID next to me or whatever. And I like, I'm listening to these machines flatline and I still have a smile on my face. I would say that that'd be impossible, but I don't know. Like the mind can be really, it can really hone in on your goals, I guess. And I'd say I knew that I wanted to get back on a board right when I woke up and I knew that I, I was already think I lost my limb at that point, maybe a month into it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I knew, I, I knew that there were amputee surfers and I think focusing in on that thing that I love so much and now having this new challenge, I was like, okay, I can do this. 
I can win this. Uh, I have this clear goal now that's carved out for me and I just got to work to get that. And I think that is just like this light at the end of this dark tunnel Mm -hmm. that I could just hone in on and focus. And it kept me positive through all of it. I mean, you know, being sarcastic with my friends and family who were super supportive, which was key during this. Mm-hmm. Um, just, yeah. And I, I, I think you just need to focus on all the little benefits that can come from something that's terrible. Uh, you know, there's always something, I mean, yeah, I lost my leg, but now, uh, I have this opportunity to have my YouTube platform, I guess. Um, I have the story to tell. I have mm-hmm. this clear defined path, uh, I can compete on these uh, surf teams potentially. Um, it's all those little things that I, I look at and I just ignore all the annoying stuff that happens in my day-to-day life. Cause yeah, my life is way harder than it used to be. Um, and I have down days, but just focus on the little things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> having that, that, I guess having that goal or that like kind of vision that you're setting towards like keeps you, it sounds like keeps you grounded and, you know, marching towards that thing. You mentioned your family. How, how do they do through all this? Cause I can't imagine yeah. that is uh, I always, I always do like to ask, you know, creative entrepreneurs, like, you know, did your family support you in this decision? Your family, this, like, how did your family, how did they stay with you? And what, what was their, you know, I don't know, take on, on all of this situation. I, I think they had the harder end of the, stick or whatever that expression is <laughs> um they definitely i feel like it would be way more challenging in their shoes because they have to watch me mm-hmm. go through all this terrible stuff i mean mm-hmm. uh they don't really know how my mentality was like they can't look inside my mind right. and know that i'm maybe i'm just projecting this image or whatever but um especially during that coma phase like my dad being a surgeon totally knew like even if I do wake up and come out of this, it's going to be a long road to recovery. Mm-hmm. So he kind of knew the extremes, but uh, yeah, I mean, they were there almost. My mom and dad were by my side every single day in the hospital. All of them came out to Hawaii for the whole month and a half. I was still in Queens before I got medevaced all the way to Cleveland, Ohio. And uh, my sister was there. Friends and family would come through and, they were just by my side every step of the way. Um, and they, they had smiles on their faces, so I can't really speak to what they thought in the back of their minds, but I mean, they stayed positive with me. So, you know, maybe they just have that gene. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's in all of you guys, apparently. Um, yeah. and so I love, I love that as soon as you're like, okay, I've lost a limb. I love to surf. I want to, you know, I want to push, I want to make this my goal to like get back on a board. How has that process gone from that moment you come out of the coma, you're wherever you're, you know, you now realize you're an amputee to pushing towards like, you're now getting back on boards and pools. You're getting back. I saw you were in the ocean very recently. Like, tell me about that process to get to that point, to start to get back on a board, to start to ride again and what that's been like. It's way harder than I thought it was going to be. Uh, I guess maybe my naivety naivety or naivety really uh, helped in the beginning because at first I thought when I, back in February 1st, like still at the tray can, still on ECMO, which is like taking the blood out of my body and working as a mechanical lung, uh, all these systems for, you know, 90 days. Uh, 
I figured I'd be back in Hawaii by, I don't know, I think August of 2020. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, maybe already standing up on a board, but I totally underestimated how challenging life would be with one lung. I think I was focusing more on that physical aspect of the lost limb mm-hmm. where nowadays to me, that's like 5% of my disability in my head. Like, mm-hmm. This is going to be, I I didn't, I don't know if this is like an insensitive question or not, but I was going to ask you like, is the lung, what is the lung more difficult than the leg or vice versa? A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, I think the lung, uh, the leg is kind of cool. I got like this robot looking leg and Mm -hmm. you know, it's unique. You can like Uh, trick it out a little bit. Yeah. 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 It's kind of like, it's my own thing, I guess. Uh, Honestly, I lost my toes on my left foot and uh, they transplanted my thigh skin to the entire heel of my foot so that way that left side of my foot didn't have to be amputated Mm -hmm. if that surgery failed that'd be a double amputee which would have been really taxing for me i believe it goes 20 percent more energy expenditure for an amputee uh below the knee yeah and if you become a double amputee it goes up to 60 percent more energy and that with one lung is just no bueno you're really pumping yeah. yeah yeah so um yeah so the left leg sometimes is usually harder to walk with, even though it's like my organic foot, but I have that ankle, which is super important for surfing for me. So I'm glad that I have the left leg, uh, mm-hmm. for a couple of reasons. Um, but yeah, the lung, the lung is just, Oh man. Uh, I would say until maybe two months ago, three months ago, I could, I was on oxygen. I mean, 24 mm-hmm. seven. And then I just ended up being able to get off of it completely three months ago as my one lung is actually expanding and becoming like a giant super lung. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's also getting rid of the damaged lobe, which was the bottom left. So my whole right lung was removed and the left lung, the lower lobe was damaged. So the body, I believe, is shrinking that section of the lung and making it less relevant while expanding the middle and upper lobes and Mm -hmm. just growing that because it's healthier and it's expanding to most of my chest. Um, Also with coughing, like I had this severe bronchiectasis where the sacs in my lung fill with fluid Mm -hmm. and I'm constantly coughing, like which sucks during COVID because it's like a gunshot going off every time you cough and <laughs> everyone's looking like, everybody's oh like, God. who is this guy? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So having a chronic cough has not been fun, but in the past three weeks, it went from like, you know, as bad as it's been for a few months to gone. Uh, I, I, I think it's just all the physical therapy and training that I'm doing, mm-hmm. you know, no doctor knew how much my lung can recover. Uh, And that's kind of like the huge part of the YouTube channel is when I began, I could have already been at that wall. Like this is as far as my body can really go. And I have to adapt from here or who knows, maybe one day I could be on the Paralympic surfing team. Um, So it's kind of chronicling that whole journey. Yeah. That's crazy. Okay. So let's, let's talk about that. Cause that's obviously I'm, I'm super interested in the, the content creation process and you know, what you started to build with the YouTube channel, so at what point, you know, you're, you're in your, you're doing your rehab. Like, when did you decide, okay, this is a story that I need to, I, I can't keep this to myself. Like I need to share this, what I'm going through with everybody else. Like, when did you decide, all right, let's, I'm going to start a YouTube channel. I'm going to start an Insta. Like what, when did that process start to happen for you? I think it was around July of 2020. So about a month prior, I was discharged from the ICU 
and now I'm doing inpatient rehabilitation at Akron Children's Hospital. Um, and I remember I was just trying to find something on YouTube or a documentary of a similar person that was athletic uh, or young and went through something as intense as this and then came out and like had this athletic dream that they pursued and succeeded in or, you know, didn't, but were happy. And, you know, there's, I, I think there's a book or two on some stories like this. And uh, there's one guy, Sean, um, who has one lung and has summited every, uh, Sean Schwarmer, I believe his name is, has summited every like highest peak in each continent. Mm-hmm. So Everest, Kilimanjaro, one lung. And that's awesome. And they have their little documentaries, but I kind of had a different story based on how much damage was done to my lung Mm -hmm. and the leg and everything that comes along with that. And since it didn't exist, I was like, well, I guess I can do it. Mm -hmm. I don't know how far I can go with it, but I've always enjoyed the video creation process, but I don't really have like, you know, I made Minecraft videos when I was like 12 Mm -hmm. and 13 and like doing all that, like fun kind of YouTube type of situation. Uh, I actually ended up being banned <laughs> from Google AdSense because this was back in like 2013. Yeah. And they give me this privilege to monetize my videos with their platform. So you had built uh, up like enough of an audience with your Minecraft I did, videos. yeah. And this was back in like Minecraft Alpha. So it was kind of like really the beginning of like these videos. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember being so stoked at telling all my friends at my local lunch table to click on my ads and that is a track to like an IP of all these people in the local area clicking on them to basically manipulate it. Mm-hmm. Me, I'm not thinking that I'm manipulating anything. I'm thinking You're I'm 12 a years kid. Old. Yeah. I'm smart. Oh my God, this is brilliant. Like, yeah. And you know, there goes that. So that kind of shut down the YouTube channel. Um, life lessons learned at an early age. So uh, you learn that before you get into the next YouTube <laughs> Precisely. Yeah. But now, you know, I have you know, something a little uh, more exciting, I guess, my own personal experience and my own emotional experience that I can share this story with. So I guess maybe the Minecraft was, you know, to prep me for this. It set, <laughs> set you up for that. And so like, are you, you decide, okay, this is a story that's really not told a lot or, you know, you have a very obviously unique story. It's a, a niche. Yeah, for there's sure. not a ton of content out there about this. Like, do you just say, okay, I'm going to pick up this camera and like point it at myself and start talking? Or did you lay out, okay, this is my strategy. This is what I'm going to, this is what I want to show. This is what I don't want to show. Like, are there people helping you with the, with the content? <laughs> How is that going? Yeah. So there's a bit of a strategy, I suppose. Um, yeah, People Magazine did an article on me and then that got picked up by a couple of the news publications, uh, a few other podcasts. And I was like, okay, I have, I guess, a bit of this platform where I'm getting myself out there right now. So maybe I should start this channel now with an announcement video, mm-hmm. um, knowing that like, I'm not able to even start filming myself because I can barely talk still. I mean, at this point it took me 45 minutes to get up the stairs on my hands and knees. And I'd feel like I was dying during that process. Cause my oxygen levels would dip so low mm-hmm. that like my body goes into this full breakdown panic. And like, I literally, my muscles would start to fail and it was, uh, I was so scary. I hated it. And that was like every single day of my life. And it was a pretty dark place to be in. But like, you know, I knew that my dad kept reaffirming that I was going to get out of this with training. It's just my body is so, you know, I went from 165 pounds roughly to 108, I think, in the hospital. So like, 
I had a lot of catching up to do, yeah. and, you know, a lot less organs to do it with. Um, and yeah, I guess the, the articles that were happening, I made this announcement video. So that way I could kind of build that foundation. And through that, I think with just one, a one minute announcement video, we had about 150 subscribers uh, through these sources. So we had that small foundation mm -hmm. and my brother um, who uh, lived with me in Hawaii um, just was starting to get into wave photography when I got sick um, and he likes his drone and he likes doing photography stuff. So I was like, okay, well, I mean, since I, I will have this guy that can shoot stuff um, mm -hmm. and, you know, he's got a good creative eye for that. So uh, we have our, kind of videography element there. Uh, and I'm familiar with Premiere and so was he. So we kind of teamed up and we we're like, okay, once I get back my like first two weeks in Hawaii, we'll start shooting my journey from, uh, I guess, the beginning of my recovery process. Mm -hmm. And that's what started the journey. <laughs> that's awesome. I love that. And so now you're, you know, you've, I think you're whatever, eight or nine episodes in. Um, and these are not like short little, you know, two minute things. These are eight, nine, 10 minute, 12 minute vlogs. Um, I, your, your most recent is you getting back on a wave for the first time. So as you've started to put this story out into the world, like what has the reception been? If, and if you had people reach out to you, like what is, you know, I think such, such an amazing part of you. That's how I found you as, you know, through your story and kind of hearing what you're up to. So how has the reception been to people following along with your recovery process? Yeah. When people find it, it's overwhelmingly positive. Uh, that's what's so fun about it. It kind of keeps me focused on trying to achieve my athletic pursuits because, you know, I, I want to get this footage for the vlog and it pushes me into these situations that are taxing on my body that, you know, kind of keeps me motivated, motivated and keeps me focused. And, you know, I've, I have, uh, uh, teachers that are showing my weekly vlogs in their classrooms. Mm -hmm. Uh, um, I have lots of little kids. One little guy calls me, uh, the kid with the magic, the water boy with the magic leg. <laughs> so, and just having like, uh, you know, these young, younger audience that I can help, you know, inspire and show like when life throws you this type of adversity, you can prevail and stay mm -hmm. happy. And, you know, I honestly think my life is even more fulfilling now than it was pre all of this. So, uh, you know, that's a super great feeling to have, even though my audience is kind of small right now, like, you know, just affecting those few people, it's, it's huge to me. Mm -hmm. And have you enjoyed doing it? Like, is it something that has given you a, a creative outlet similar to how surfing has like given you a, you know, a physical relaxing outlet? Like, are you enjoying the, process of making all these videos and like documenting i definitely love the creative element uh the vlogging aspect is a little tough for who i am uh i think i i do it well enough uh but you know putting a camera in front of my what i'm doing in the moment uh i've always been like against like a lot of social media stuff mm -hmm. and like i i don't really like uh taking myself out of what i'm actively doing mm -hmm. uh but you know i think that you know that's something I just got to get over and like, it, it, it's kind of pretentious to feel that way in some elements. So I, I, I'm trying to avoid that feeling, but it's a little tough for me to get over. I feel a little awkward when like tons of people are staring at me as I'm walking down with a camera in front of my face. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, I'm getting better at that. Editing wise, I have a lot of fun with that. Uh, it takes, you know, six, seven hours, an episode usually of editing clips down and I'm getting a bit better at that. Uh, 
at the beginning though, you can kind of see that progression from episode one to, I think we just did eight, mm-hmm. uh, figuring out pacing, uh, and telling a story and a narrative in each episode. Um, you know, in the beginning, it's hard to think about describing what I'm doing as if these people don't know. Cause like, I know what I'm doing and mm-hmm. I know why I'm here, but you know, the audience doesn't. So having to like take yourself out and like think of the perspective for somebody totally new is something that I've had to learn. Um, pacing for sure. Uh, you know, I think a clip should maybe be no more than six seconds. If it's just showing a screen because he, the human brain wants something new and mm-hmm. I, I, things felt like they dragged a bit in the beginning, but, uh, I think the pacing is starting to pick up a bit and I'm figuring out kind of the style that I'm, I like, uh, and yeah, <laughs> that's cool. I mean, it's, it's interesting to me as, as like, you're going through this physical, you know, recovery rehabilitation process. Like there's also this creative development process that you're going with along at the same time where you're, you know, I can see just in what you just described, like you're definitely an incremental, like goal oriented person in your creativity. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure it translates to your like physical recovery too. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, one thing I really wish we could start getting more of though, is, uh, the banter that I kind of have between my friends. Mm-hmm. Um, I was really like, I just want to put my sense of humor more into these episodes, but it's, it's hard when I, I'm usually just talking to myself. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so trying to figure out ways to do that. I don't know if you have any advice, <laughs> but uh, it is, it is tough when it's such like it. a serious, like in a way it's such a serious topic. Mm-hmm. But you're like, you know, such a positive, joyful, humorous person. Combining those Thank two you. worlds is, is, is tricky. How has it been working with your brother? Like, how has that relationship been, you know, you could two coming together creatively as well. Super good. Um, he's very reliable. Um, if we schedule something, he can make it. Um, he works though. Uh, so it's sometimes hard to find the right times. Uh, I'm starting work back in September, same job. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we'll also see how my work life balance works, I guess, once I'm now editing, shooting and working a full-time job. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think I can manage. Um, and yeah, I, he's been, you know, nothing but a joy to work with, but I really think he's going to become key, like a really vital part. Once I start getting back in the water and standing up on a board again, mm-hmm. because of his wave photography skills, mm-hmm. uh, being able to be in the water with a dome camera, and like get those right angles is it's just going to make a really kind of unique story to have that presence always there. Yeah. Get right in there, get up close mm-hmm. in the water. Um, like, I guess my, my question for you too is, is how, you know, you said your goal is like, you know, the Paralympic surfing team is like, you know, a legit possibility for you. Like how have you felt that your surfing or your progress has been made on the board on getting towards like that goal? Like, what is your, do you have like a vision at this point for how you get to that place? Or are you just still taking it like day by day by day? Certainly a day by day situation. That's how I try to always live my life. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, cause you don't know what the future is going to hold, but um, the Paralympic surfing team doesn't even exist yet. Uh, the surfing team for the U S us Olympics or the U S Olympics. Yeah. First year, exactly. In Tokyo this summer. Uh, but typically, uh, a Paralympic event would follow right after. So hopefully 2028 France or something like that is what I'm picturing. Mm-hmm. But I mean, my like 
short-term goal, you know, I guess the next year or two, it was the Hawaiian Adaptive Surf Team. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they have like an international event they host in, uh, I think it's La Jolla, California, uh, when, you know, amputees or the, the blind or other disabilities all come up for different class events, class events, uh, different divisions, uh, and compete from around the world. Like, and it's completely represented. It's nuts that, you know, these events exist and that's excites me so much that I'd be able to participate in something like that. So where I am now though, uh, as you may have seen in that one wave, uh, I might be able to stand up on a board. I don't really want to risk my prosthetic equipment because I'm still prototyping these new legs. Uh, and I'm waiting on a prosthetic like foot cover for my left foot, mm-hmm. which will give me the toes uh, and also protect the thigh skin because it's super susceptible to shear forces. So I'm always wearing a water booty on the left foot. Uh, and I once I have that other prosthetic, it'll give me more stability, I think. So I'm waiting on the pop-ups for that. Oxygen-wise, though, uh, I'm not ready <laughs> whatsoever. Uh, I've made leaps and bounds in the past two months, but uh, when I was out there, uh, I was super out of breath paddling into position in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a monster set came because it was like a three to four foot day, I think, mm-hmm. which is pretty big for my first day back in two years. Throwing you and, right into it. Yeah, exactly. And it's like one foot deep. <laughs> it's a lot of coral. Um but yeah, the huge set came and I was like, there's no way I have the energy to paddle over this. So I paddle into the wave. I guess I just get caught up into the wave really. And I ride that in and like the whole time I'm like kind of back in that same state where my oxygen levels are getting kind of low and like, I'm not regenerating my air fast enough. So it's almost like I'm drowning above water. So despite me smiling on that wave and throwing my stoke, I'm not moving at all Mm -hmm. because I'm like, kind of panicking. Like if I fall off, I could probably drown right here. Mm-hmm. So a little bit more time on the exercise bike back there and some more pool work. So I can get to a stage where, I, uh, I have shorter recovery times, but I'm totally in that upward trend right now. And mm-hmm. it hasn't shown any signs of change. In fact, it's getting more exponential. So, you know, a couple more months and we'll recheck, see where I'm at. <laughs> I love that. And like, what does you, what does your rehab process look like you mentioned the bike like what are some of the other things that you do to i guess two-part question i imagine a lot of it's long related like getting your oxygen back getting your getting your lung kind of back to health but is there anything like leg wise or strength wise or sort of training that you're doing to just help continue to like reshape your body yeah it's full on like what you if you were going to a gym and doing like a traditional olympic weightlifting type stuff mm-hmm. i kind of do that except with much lighter weights than i used to use, uh, you know, two pounders or, mm-hmm. you know, 20 pound bench press type stuff, uh, really just building kind of the small muscle groups back up first, cause every single muscle degenerated. And, you know, you think of your, your biceps or your traps and like the major core, but like when even the small ones degenerate that much, like you are very weak. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that in turn, because my muscles are so small, require more blood moving in and out, which, requires more oxygenation. So then my cardio system from just like using my muscles, like my heart rate hits 160 uh when I start walking. Okay. <laughs> like it says it's like I'm sprinting all the time. So mm-hmm. I get pretty tired really quickly. So there's a lot of weight lifting, small groups. And then as shown in a lot of my videos, there's a I go into a pool where it shoots a current 
against me. Uh, and I paddle on that board and I build up cardio doing that, or Mm -hmm. I sit in this pool current and I have like a, an oar and I paddle, uh, overhand kind of like canoe style and build up cardio that way. Or there's this one tank of water I get into, um, where it fills up to my neck and I run on an underwater treadmill and these kind of type of like water therapies are great for oxygen issues because hydrostatic pressure reduces the amount of gravitational force on your whole body. Right. Mm -hmm. So if you think, you know, you're standing up and down the blood from my heart has to go down to my body, which is easy down to my legs and my feet. If I had feet (laughs) and uh, it has to return back up against gravity. But when you have this hydrostatic element, that return back up is a lot easier. Mm -hmm. So effectively, I can get more out of a workout. Like I get tired less quickly, but I'm still working my body just as hard. So I can do a lot more. It's basically Mm -hmm. like I have more lung capacity just by being in this water. That's cool. Yeah. Interesting. Um, And like from your perspective, how do you, and I know you mentioned you take, you're kind of taking it day by day, but how do your doctors, your physical therapists see your progression going? Like, is there a one year or a two year or a five year plan? Like, does it go like that? Or is it really like, let's see how Carter responds to this and then we'll adjust from there. Yeah. Uh, I wish doctors were a little, uh, more specific, but, uh, I'm sure you're asking growing, a lot of the same gr- questions <laughs> growing up with a uh, family in the medical field. I I'm quite familiar that, uh, you never, they never want to give you like that much hope. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I There's never a definitive like, answer. Yeah. Like, I mean, I remember like when I first got my, my first lung test, uh, at the end of 2020, um, I remember after I did all the activities they made me do all the measurements my lung doctor was like well your lung compared to uh, another 23 year old your age male with two lungs it's really bad bro <laughs> like it's in a bad shape compared mm-hmm. to that and i was like well yeah i mean i have less than half the capacity of them um but you know that's kind of all the data that they had and right they don't know how much it's going to recover but he didn't say it wasn't. So that's like doctor speak, like, oh yeah, there's totally like, you know, I'm hopeful that things are going to get better, but they'll mm-hmm. most of the time we'll never say never that. Say it. Got it. Just because, you know, it makes sense. I mean, you don't know what's going to happen medically. Uh, so basically, my advice to people that are ever dealing with it, doctors in the medical field, and they don't give you really bad news. They just kind of tell you things are okay right now. And that's pretty good news then. That's, yeah. That's I mean, hopeful. It could mean a great thing. Yeah. So take it in stride. Got it. Wow. That's crazy. Um, All right. I have a few other just kind of like random rapid fire questions that I want to ask you. You mentioned a little bit about the reshaping of the legs and kind of like building out your own like prototypes. Yeah, my arsenal. (laughs) Yeah. I'm very curious about that. Like how, how has that gone? Like, what did they give you when you first sort of had your, you know, are you rocking the same one every day? Are there different prosthetics for different occasions? How are you, what are these things that you're building out that are like the future of your prosthetics? I want to know about all of it. Okay. Yeah. So the beginning was my peg leg. Uh, that was my very first prosthetic and it had absolutely no ankle. It was basically like a metal rod onto a flat 90 degree foot. Um, and that just kind of helps you get your balance initially and get used to like using prosthetic equipment. 
and I've since retired that leg and I kind of use that as a shower leg now. So mm. I'll put it on and the liner can get all wet and whatever. And I don't care because I don't have to wear it throughout the day. Uh, so it's always funny when I go to the shower, I'm just like hobbling around the house. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and more recently, uh, I believe it, right before I came back to Hawaii. So probably uh, late February, I got my first real athletic leg. It's known as a K3. Uh, I believe they're ranked K1, K2, K3 for based on how active you are. Mm-hmm. Um, and the higher the activity level, the harder it is to balance on the leg. But the more uh, response you get, the more, uh, I guess, stress you can put onto the foot and it'll mm-hmm. respond back with energy. Uh, so usually you're talking about like your carbon fiber legs now, um, feet that have a lot of energy potential. Um those blades that you see Olympic runners mm-hmm. wear, where it's like that complete curve. Um, and do those fall? And, and yeah, so those have, fall in like the K three category. Those like blade yeah, type. Yeah, I may even go to K five. I okay. don't know because like uh, a true traditional running blade, uh, like you have to kind of like hop while you're wearing it mm-hmm. because you can't actually balance on it that well. Like standing still, it's it's definitely not meant to like be a walking leg. Um, so yeah, you. <laughs> you kind of see them kind of like bouncing back and forth. Mm-hmm. But once you start running it in some ways, it can be better than a traditional leg because it has so much en- uh, energy potential on the down press that it springs you forward a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, right now I have like a, in between a blade where it has a big curve on the ankle, but it's still like a straight rod at the beginning. And that's like a hybrid leg where I, I have that uh, actuation that can happen on like an intense step. Like maybe when I duck down a board or skateboard, I'm pushing down and I, I can push off with that. Um, and that's been working pretty well. So it'll probably be my surfing foot as well. The problem is prosthetic legs are incredibly expensive and mm-hmm. insurance, unless you're like a veteran or in the military or something and we're wound, wounded. Uh, they're basically, they're like $20,000 and maybe insurance covers half of that mm-hmm. every couple of years for one leg. So anything else, like more sporting wise, you pay in completely out of pocket. Uh, but there's a lot of foundations out there, luckily, that kind of help athletes uh, find stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can show you. I don't know if your viewers can see any of this. But, oh, yeah, let's see. Yeah, I have. Uh, so this is the leg right here. Okay. Um, and this is called a pin system where the socket that attaches to my, my leg is uh, attached by a pin mechanically instead of with suction typically a liner you'd uh, a, a prosthetic socket you roll up like a sleeve that kind of makes like a vacuum seal and that's how your leg sticks in mm-hmm. but with this i can actually release it by pressing a button on the side of the leg my leg will just pop off completely and then right here you can see where the hole is that you uh pin in wild i lost you <laughs> you were unplugged oh There we go. <laughs> I thought you were just plugging headphones into the leg there. Some super, super <laughs> technology. Oh yeah. It's also an MP3 player. Um, but yeah, you can see kind of that carbon thing in the back here. And it, wow. So much sand just fell out of my leg <laughs> and now it's all over my desk. <laughs> I blame you. It's, it's part of the, part of the Hawaiian experience is having. Yeah, the, wow. The there's a the lot of sand here now. <laughs> oh man. Okay. <laughs> Whoops. Sorry about that. You're all good. That's my fault. <laughs> I mean, like, so, I mean, you got to tell, well, tell me about this. Like how, 
you take the leg off? Like, does it go in the shower? Does it go to the beach? Does it like, is there like a cleaning process that you go through on a daily basis? What is that all like? Yeah. You don't have to do too much daily cleaning with it, but uh, with the sand that gets in it, you typically have to take the foot shell off. That's the, like the, the foot looking part that kind of mm-hmm. fills out a shoe. And I don't really have the tool to do that yet. So it's very hard for me to clean because it's super difficult to get it off. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's for the most part, what you, all you have to do. Um, and because I don't wear the liner to create that vacuum on this pin system, it's a lot better for the water because I can mm-hmm. just click in, click out, uh, plug and play. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> that's, that is wild. And so you're working now, like, are you working with, uh, who is the type of person, I guess, that like designs a prosthetic. So like, what are some of these prototype type of legs that you're working on and who do you work on something like that with? Yeah. So there's a, a prosthetist, funny name, <laughs> but uh, they are typically the one that uh, helps mold the prosthetic socket. That's the part that attaches to your sump. Um, and they just mount that onto whatever type of leg you're looking for. Mm. So there's three parts. There's the pylon, which is the middle connector. That's like the, the iron bar that is straight and connects mm-hmm. the socket and the, the, the foot or the, uh, the actual leg component, mm-hmm. the leg part, which is usually where all the technology is that it's that carbon fiber, the thing that stores all the energy. And that's usually the most expensive part. And then the socket part, which is usually molded to your stump. And it's very difficult to get it right because you can't just get a, for the most part, a perfect, uh, replica of your, your leg, because you can only bear pressure in certain areas, depending on who you are as a person. Mm-hmm. Since I'm so skinny and, uh, I don't have much fat. Uh, I kind of feel everything everywhere. Mm. So like a one millimeter change in the socket, I'll notice that difference. So this is my fifth iteration of the prosthetic socket. And we're still working. I'm actually right after this, I'm going to North Shore prosthetics. And we're going to try to see what we can change. And I've been wearing this prototype for like a week and a half. So I kind of know like the back of the calf is kind of getting trapped when I take a step and the calf actuates, mm-hmm. it gets trapped in the back of the socket. And that creates a lot of pain for me. So I know I need to expand that a little bit, mm-hmm. but in doing so other parts are going to become more loose. So it's just, this, I keep trying to find the balance. Yeah. So it's kind of frustrating, uh, but We'll get it figured out. And once I get there completely, it'll be completely a carbon fiber socket. So way lighter than it is right now and way stronger. Got it. And so you've had, you can notice like significant difference. I'm reading a Tiger Woods book right now and it's fascinating. Like he talks about like almost to that exact point, like a one gram difference in the, the weight of his driver notices that difference. Like, do you notice incremental changes as you've been going along and making these iterations? Yeah. I mean, it's always nuts too. Cause like, if you were to grab my leg, which is, you know, maybe like two or three pounds lighter than a human segment would be, mm-hmm. it still feels so heavy in the hand, mm-hmm. but you don't notice like how much your weight leg weighs because it's attached to your body and you've grown right. up with it. Um, but I believe like, I'll probably lose like a pound and a half once it is completely carbon fiber on the top. And that's going to be, I mean, I've been training, it's like been training with a donut on a baseball bat. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I'm very excited once we can finally lock in, but the reason we can't just jump into it is once you make that carbon fiber socket, it is done. You can't really mold it Mm -hmm. with this plastic socket that I'm currently using as our 
uh, you know, try, try to find the right shape. Uh, you can just put, apply some heat and expand the plastic in that area, take some heat and push it back in. So mm-hmm. it's, it's malleable, but it's, it's heavy and it's not as strong. So. Got it. And so you're trying to bring the weight of the prosthetic down. How has your body weight gone up? Have you been able to put back uh, on some pounds? That's been so hard. That's like, so I think in ranking of disability right now, my lung is the hardest. And then my nutrition is the second hardest. And then is it has to do with my leg and mm-hmm. my no toes. Um, nutrition is just surprising because I don't think it would be so hard, but I was fed through a G-tube. Basically, uh, I was fed right into my stomach with a, a tube for five, six months, I think. Um, mm-hmm. And my theory is, uh, this is you know completely my speculation because I've been working with doctors and we're trying to figure it out. Uh, I have a condition called gastroparesis where my stomach will consume food and it'll sit in the top part of my stomach and not actuate those muscles to start moving it down the digestive tract. So for six hours, I still have that food at the very top of my stomach. So it feels Mm. like I just ate. I feel full all the time. I never want to eat. I have no desire to eat. And I should be getting at least 3000 calories a day, probably because I'm trying to get those gains. And I'm lucky if I can hit a thousand some days and that affects my mood. It affects, even though I feel full, I'm still, you know, getting hangry because I'm not having the nutrition. I'm losing weight. I think I've lost 10 pounds since I've come back to Hawaii because obviously my physical activities picked up a lot, but my nutrition has kind of stayed the same. Right. Um, I'm starting to get it down a little bit. I have some studies coming up that we can hopefully hone down that issue. Uh, cause I think as soon as I get the nutrition down and I can really get those calories in on a daily basis, I think I'll have the biggest uptick in growth that I've had so far in my health. Mm-hmm. That is wild. Like, are there things now that you find that you can or can't eat? Or are you just trying to like pack as many? Everything tastes good. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. It's it's a weird, it's a weird state. Like, so the symptom I have is anorexia, uh, Mm -hmm. just not the mental condition, anorexia nervosa. Um, I just have that inability to have an appetite. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's a symptom. And so I I, I never feel hungry. So food isn't very desirable for me, but like, Mm -hmm. you know, I still love all the food I eat. It's none of that's changed. Like nothing sickens me or grosses me out. So really the best thing I've been doing is just masking our protein shakes and just force feeding that down. Mm-hmm. And that way I can at least hit maybe 2000. Hopefully that's, that's at least the goal right now until I can kind of get this figured out figure and make eating out. a little easier. That's crazy. All right. Final couple of questions. I don't want to keep you too long. I know you got to, you got to get to the, to the, pro, uh, how do you say it? Prost, prostatist. 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 I mean, that is a great name. Um, <laughs> I know. <laughs> all right. Carter, if you were to have a billboard in Times Square, you can put anything you want on this billboard. What are you putting on the billboard? You can say anything. It can be a picture, anything. It can be whatever you want, a message. What are you putting on that billboard? Focus on the little things. And then it's just a big picture of me smiling. <laughs> I like that. I like that. All right. My last question, which I've been asking every guest now in 2021, I end every show with the sign off of stay weird. That's my sign off for every episode. Nice. So I got to ask you, Carter, what makes you weird? Um, oof. My sense of humor for sure. <laughs> definitely a weird sense of humor a little twisted sometimes but i love that part about me (laughs) 
it keep, it seems to keep it seems to keep your head on straight. So I think it's yeah. a good, it's a damn good thing. All right, if people want to follow you, if people want to keep up with what you're doing on YouTube, where can the listeners of this show find you on the internet? I uh, just search Carter Perry. That's uh, uh, P A R R Y, and I'll come up on YouTube, Google searches, uh, Instagram is just Carter underscore Perry. So you can find me there. is a wrap on this week's episode of destination different thank you to carter for coming on the show hard to leave that and thank you that you have any problems in the world i mean people are like oh 2020 sucked 2020 was the worst one of the first days of 2020 carter went into a coma had his leg removed, had his lung removed. Anything, any small problems that you've got going on, I'd say pale in comparison to that. And yet somehow he still looks at it with a positive attitude, with a smile on his face, telling jokes. And I think it's a good way to, to live life. So if you want to follow along with Carter, I'll get all his stuff linked up here in the description. But he's at Carter, he's at, at Carter underscore Perry on Instagram. His YouTube channel, search Carter Perry. He'll come right up. So I'll make sure that we get those linked up in the description because his what he's created and him documenting this journey, like we talked about, there's not many people out there who have had a leg removed, who have had a lung removed and are creating content of how they're rehabbing and how they're you know, getting back into athletics. He's in a unique position where he is still so young and wants to be so active that his recovery, I think, will be fascinating to watch. So... Again, shout out to Carter. Huge thank you for having him come on the show this week. A little bit of a different different spin. and Man, what a, what a story he's got. Um, so thank you, thank you, thank you to Carter for coming on this week's show. Other than that, that's all we got, baby. We're still rolling. We're still grooving. I've noticed you know, the world is now starting to get back to normal. More people are getting outside. More people are traveling. Restrictions around the country are are more or less fading by the wayside for this COVID thing. And as a result, people aren't listening to podcasts as much. And the numbers started to pitter off. Not as many people coming and and checking out the show. It'll come back up. The winter comes around. People are commuting back to work. It all comes around. But you can see the lull, the doldrums of the summer. You know, I'm starting to see that with the with the podcast. So I hope you can take some time and listen to this episode because it was fascinating and I hope it was as enjoyable for you all to listen to as it was for me to make. We'll be back again next week, next Wednesday, with another episode of Destination Different. Until then, stay with Just a couple hours I can't tell the difference Between what's fake and what's been missing 
Often I'm misunderstood So I'm looking for a better me This is your love song, baby I hope that you know the words This is your love song, baby I hope that you know what you were oh, 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 oh. We should take time, take time Cause with 